My name is Ben. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. Most of you know me. Uh, but I'm, I'm so glad to, to be able to preach to you this morning and for us to learn together. Chris, uh, his dad, if you know his dad, is a pastor down the road at Jolton First Baptist, has been there for, I think, over 30 years. He's retiring. And so that's happening this morning. Chris is there preaching, uh, and then they're celebrating Brother David's life. Uh, if you don't know anything about Brother David, he is an awesome man of God and um, is just very much like Chris, super pastoral, just loves and is friends with everybody. And uh, as I think about, uh, you know, how he spent his life, especially the last 10 to 15 years, he has pioneered uh, church planting in any way that he can. They helped plant this church in many ways. Uh, they helped plant a church in Bordeaux. They help, they're helping plant a church right now in Ashland City. He's helping, you know, just everywhere. Brother David's just been after that. And so if you don't know him, I think he'll be around some uh, now that he's retired uh, here with his family. Uh, so hopefully you'll get to know him better. But, uh, but that's what's going on. Uh, and then also we just had our Uganda team come back from Uganda. Uh, and so if you see them, uh, ask them about the trip. I hear it was really good. I'm excited to hear more. Um, but there's a lot going on in our church. I know a lot of us are getting off fall break and all that stuff too. But we're, we're here this morning. We're going to worship and learn from the scriptures. Uh, we are going to be in Romans chapter 8, as you might have surmised. If you need a copy of God's Word, uh, it'll be on the screen, but if you'd like a physical copy, if you want to raise your hand, our ushers would be glad uh, to bring you a Bible that you can use. Uh, and uh, if you don't own a Bible or you don't like the one you own, I guess, we'd be glad for you to keep this one, take it home. Uh, just use it, uh, and that'd be awesome. We're going to be in two verses this morning. It's supposed to be three. I'm, I'm shortening it to two. We're going to be in verse... Verses 12 and 13. So we're going to read those here in a moment uh, together. But I want, uh, I want to remind us of a little bit of the context of what's going on here in Romans. Because we can sometimes get lost in the sauce, so to speak. Uh, and we can forget, like, what's going on, especially when we're slowly just walking through a chapter like Romans that we are. So the book of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul. And it's, it's probably Paul's magnum opus. It's, it's probably the most important book, if I can say that, of all the other ones that he wrote, which are all also very important in the New Testament. And in this, in this letter that he wrote to the, the church in Rome, whom he'd not seen face to face the time when he wrote this, um, he, he's, he's laying out his understanding of the gospel in its fullest sense, okay? And he probably wrote this, if you know a little bit about, about Paul's story, he probably, he, he's wanting to go to Spain eventually, and he's planning to stop by Rome on the way to Spain. We learned that from chapter 15, if you read closely. In the meantime, he's headed to Jerusalem. And he keeps being told by the Holy Spirit, you need to go to Jerusalem. And there's also people prophesying, Paul, when you get there, it's going to be suffering and hardship. But go. And so he's on the way to Jerusalem. He pins this letter to Rome. He says, I'm headed to Jerusalem. Later on, I hope to visit you guys and... and for us to get to know one another and for us to mutually encourage one another. And then... I'm going to stop and meet you on the way to Spain, okay? So he wrote this probably, we think, in Corinth on the way traveling to Jerusalem to eventually go to them in Rome. And then within the letter, here's the other context. So that's kind of historical context. Within this letter, which, again, there's a lot here. And, and I would just commend this to you. Romans really is one of the most important things that you could read in your Bible. If you've never sat down and done the deep dive on Romans, read it. It will bless you and challenge you and encourage you, make you think things you've never thought before. And if you're a lady, uh, I know the Tuesday night women's Bible study is about to kick off a long study of Romans. 
Um, so, so maybe if that fits you, you could join them and learn it that way. But we also just love this book. But within, within the context of where we're going this morning, Paul has already laid out a few things. He's, he's talked about how everybody's a sinner, whether you're a religious Jewish person or a non-Jewish kind of non-religious person. He says, man, at the end of the day, all of us have made mistakes and we're sinners. And redemption is only in Jesus. And then when he gets to chapter 6 and 7, he starts wrestling with this idea. So, I mean, if we're saved completely on Jesus, and it's not based on anything we could do, because we can't offer anything good to God, should we just sin? Because, I mean, like, God's going to forgive us anyway. He, he asked that question in Romans 6. He goes, no. No. You've been made a new creature. You're a new person. That's not how we're called to live. And then in Romans 7, and Chris talked about this a few weeks ago, he begins wrestling with this idea why do I feel like such a divided person? And you know this, if you've been walking for Christ for long at all, your heart often feels divided. In one sense, you, you want to Christ be magnified in me. You, you want to glorify God. And the next minute, you are, you're dealing with these temptations and these, these sin patterns in your life. And you're like, why am I like this? And, and that's the context Paul sets up in, in Romans 7. And that's some of the context in which we're battling with today. But when we get to Romans chapter 8, it's such a beloved chapter because it's just all these reminders of how much God loves us and how much he's for us. The chapter begins, and you know this, it's the name of the whole series. The chapter begins with this reminder, despite how we may be struggling with sin, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So despite how much you feel like I have blown it, or I am struggling so bad. If, if people knew how bad I was struggling, they just wouldn't even like me. Or, or whatever's going on in your life, Jesus speaks over us this morning, right? Even if we have just a minuscule amount of faith, you're like, my faith is so weak, but I, I just, I, I have like a spoonful of faith. He says to us this morning, there's no condemnation for you. And then the chapter ends in verse 39 with this, this thing. And it says, there's absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so chapter 8 begins with this. There's no condemnation. And it ends with this. There's no separation. There's nothing that you're going through. There's no sickness. There's no hardship. There's no royal mistake that so defines your life that God is going to condemn you, he's not, if you're in Christ, or that can possibly separate you from Jesus because he's with us and he loves us. So that's our context. Now, with all that context, let's read this morning. Romans 8, I want to begin a, just a few verses back to kind of help us in verse 9. So let's actually read 9 through 13. Romans 8, 9 through 13. Speaking to believers, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies 
through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, this is the focus today. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice the struggle there. Paul's struggling with, my spirit has been made alive in Christ. This pronouncement has been pronounced over me. No condemnation. Justified. Guiltless in God's sight. But I'm still living in this body of sin and death. And he says in verse 11, if, we sang this earlier too, by the way, second song. If the spirit of him who raises from the dead dwells in us. You get that? The Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead. So we have been given resurrection power. If the spirit of him who raises from the dead dwells in you, then he will also give life to your bodies. So we have resurrection power. And we're commanded to take hold of what's already been proclaimed to be true about us. God says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. So that's who we are. But we know as we live life every day that we're struggling. We're in the grind. We're we're seeking to take what has already been said to be true about us and make it ours personally and live it out. Because faith of that works is dead. And so Paul says... In 12 and 14, this is part of how that looks. So then, brothers, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we are called to be putting to death the deeds of the body. Okay, so that's where where I want to dive in this morning. And I want to talk about how. A couple quotes, one you may be very familiar with, but... Uh, This guy named Brendan Manning, who's now with Jesus, has this very famous quote, and it's famous because it was in a DC Talk record. If you're a part of Christianity, you know DC Talk. But he said this. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is, is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out of the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Uh, Russell Moore recently said something similar. He said in his new book, we see now young evangelicals walking away from evangelicalism not because they do not believe what the church teaches, but because they believe the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. I believe right now we're seeing a revival, the beginnings of a revival amongst, you know, late millennials, Gen, X, uh, Gen Zers. There's a movement of God. You, you, they're thirsting for the reality because it's so easy for all of us to slide into like just going through the motions and not doing what Paul tells us to do, to actively seek. We, we're all hypocrites, but we don't want to be hypocrites. And so we're actively, with the Holy Spirit's help, trying to put to death the deeds of the body and live into our new identity in Christ. And that's so important. And, and Manning, I mean, here's the grind. Brennan Manning struggled with this till the end of his life. I mean, he was a, um, he was a Franciscan priest 
who left the priesthood because he wanted to get married, but then, but then his marriage didn't last. He got divorced. He struggled with alcohol his whole life, probably died early because of alcohol. And yet in the midst of all his struggles, he was just clinging to Jesus. Clinging to Jesus. So this is complex, but let's get into it. How, how, can, we, how can we do this? Uh, I just want us to look again at verse 12 first. It says, so then, brothers and sisters, we're debtors. That's weird. You expect to be here, here. So then, brothers and sisters, there's no debt for you. It's being paid by Christ. But he actually says, brothers and sisters, you're debtors. But then he clarifies how we're debtors or we're under obligation to. The NASB says it that way. So then, brothers and sisters, we're under obligation to not the, not the flesh, but we're under obligation to the Holy Spirit. We're not in debt to the flesh. We're in debt to the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, in, in Romans 6, 6 and 7, it, it says this. It's talking, and this is what our baptism pictures. It's so awesome. He says, we know, so when we, we come to faith in Christ, we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. So our baptism pictures this reality. When we place faith in Christ, when God saves us, something happens. We die to who we were. Our old self, literally, it's like it was with Jesus on the cross and that old self is crucified and it's dead and then we are raised as new people and we have new resurrection life. And we're now hidden with Christ in God. That's the reality. So that's, that's you this morning. If you're, if you're a believer with a thimble full of faith, that's all you got. Or maybe you got more than that. But regardless of where you are in your walk, if you're in Christ, who you were before Christ has died. And you've been raised to life. And you're a new person. So, so that's the reality. But, but, we got to live it out. So he says, he says you, you are functionally new. The debt has been paid, but now you've been given a new master, Jesus. And by his spirit, he leads us. And we're indebted to begin living out our new identity. Now, let me make a clarification here about the word flesh so we don't get confused. Um, flesh, most of the times in the Bible where that word is used, it refers not to like our bodies, right? The Bible's not anti-physical. You know, the, the heaven one day is a physical, new heaven, new earth is a physical creation, right? So we'll actually, it's not like just a floaty, weird place with clouds and, and ethereal. Like we'll be on a, a real earth, you know. Jesus came as a real human being, a real fleshly man. Flesh, that's, that's a Gnostic idea or a Platonic idea that the flesh is bad and our spirit's good. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that all of us can be redeemed and be made right. So when the Bible uses the word flesh, it's, it's not referring to that. It's referring to our, our sin nature. It's referring to our propensity to want to sin. It's, it's picturing what that hymn says when it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Like, so we have this, 
this heart condition where even though God has redeemed us, we still like want to go feast on things that don't satisfy. We, we often run to sin that we know we shouldn't run to, and we feel divided. That's the flesh. Anything that wants to rebel against God, wants to call the shots, wants to be Lord, wants to do it my way rather than God's way, wants to give into that tape, temptation rather than follow the way, that I, the way in which I know I should live. It, it's any desire to do that, that's the flesh. So that's what he's talking about. And, and he says, we're not under obligation to that. We're not indebted to the flesh anymore. We were, we no longer are. We're now indebted to the spirit. And you think about Israel in the wilderness over and over and over again. Here, here's one example in Exodus 16. They set out from Elam, and the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed the land of Egypt. So they've departed, they walked through the Red Sea, now they're in the beginning of their wanderings. And it says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They cried out to God and said, we are enslaved. We are being mistreated. Please rescue us. And he did. And now they go, man, I wish you just left us there. It was so much better when we were enslaved. So much better when we were whipped. We had all this food to eat. Lie. They didn't have all that food to eat. They were, you know, like, like they just, they're, they're just, it's like they're going, dang it, Moses. Dang it. We, like, we want to return to Egypt. Our slavery was so much better than this freedom now. And we all can get Stockholm Syndrome where we begin to side with the enemy and, and we begin to think that our enslavement was better than our freedom. And it's not the truth. They, they're so used to their slavery. We can be so used to our sin nature that we don't even know how to live as freed people. And it's weird to say that we're freed people, but we're indebted. But that's what the scripture is saying. But Jesus says, Jesus kind of makes it make sense. He says, He says, Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus says, He doesn't say, There's no yoke. You notice that? Jesus says, There's a yoke. My yoke and my yoke is easy and my burden is light in, compare to, in comparison to your slavery and destruction and death. But it is a yoke. Christianity is a yoke. It's the yoke of Jesus. It's a good yoke. But we're indebted to follow after him. We're indebted. We're under obligation to try to take what God has already declared to be true of us and bring it into reality in this life and to grow, become sanctified until we taste it completely and totally in the life to come. 
So John, John Piper, who I'll probably overquote in the sermon, but he's, uh, there, he's got three sermons on these two verses, and I would just commend them to all of you. Go on DesiringGod.org, Killing Sin, How to Kill Sin by the Spirit, How to Kill Sin by the Word of God. It's three parts on these two verses. It's very helpful because he goes so slow, he helps bring it to light in a, in a new way. Helped me tremendously. But he says in one of those sermons, he, he says this, he says, you got to stop paying debts to your slave master flesh. Why pay for your destruction? We are debtors not to the flesh, so don't pay. The flesh asks for your affection and your bondage. You don't pay. You owe the flesh nothing but enmity and hatred and war. So go to war with your flesh. And that's verse 13, which we're getting into now. The Bible tells us here to kill. Right? So then, brothers, we're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we are commanded to go to war. We are commanded to be in the practice of killing sin, John Owen, a famous Puritan, wrote a very famous little book. And, and the, the key phrase in that whole little book is this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And so we are commanded to go to war against everything in us that wants to rebel against God and what he has shown us is right. And I, I've been meditating on that a lot, trying to Think through this. Sin can feel so innocent sometimes. Right? To us. It's not, but it can feel that way. It's, it's just a little lie. It's just a bite of a little piece of fruit. You won't surely die. It's just a little flirting not that serious. I'm not cheating on my spouse. Just a little flirting. Won't hurt anybody. It's just a little bit of gossip. It can't, can't possibly hurt anybody. I'm just taking a piece of gum. No one will miss it. It's just it's stealing. Kind of. It's not really stealing. It's just this one time. It won't enslave me. And then that sin takes us farther and deeper and it becomes more deadly than we could ever have imagined. And the consequences, think about Adam and Eve. It's just a bite of fruit. And the consequences are more serious even though God told them what the consequences could be. They couldn't imagine it, but the consequences were more serious than they ever could have imagined. You will surely die. And they did die. Not just physically, because God was gracious to them. He let them live for a while, covered them with skins to picture one day how Christ's blood would cover their sins. Uh, but they died immediately spiritually. And their relationship with God was cut off. And, and there was separation in a way that had not previously been there. The sin was way more serious than they ever could have imagined. 
Your sin is way more serious. My sin is way more serious and way more dangerous than I want to think that it can be. It just seems like a little thing. It seems so innocent, and it is going to bring me death. Which is what Paul says. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Let me clarify a few things, and we're going to get into what does this look like to fight sin, okay? The first thing I want to clarify is that this is not teaching that we can lose our salvation, okay? So this is a verse to Christians, to people in Christ, and it's not saying you can lose your salvation. If you don't fight sin, you're going to die and lose it. It's not saying that. It's describing what a Christian life looks like. It's saying if you're in Christ, these are the sort of people that God is making you to be. He's making you to be the sort of people that fight sin. It's part of your habit. It's part of what God's seeking to, with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God put on to us so that we're people who are actively fighting sin. Here's kind of the way I think about it. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you are dying and you will die eternally. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you are living and you will live eternally. He's describing a Christian life. Here's again what John Piper says. He says, putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, which is the daily practice of killing sin in your life, is the result of being justified and the evidence that you are justified by faith alone apart from the works of the law. If you're making war on your sin and walking by the Spirit, then you know that you have been united with Christ by faith alone. And if you have been united to Christ, then his blood and righteousness provide the unshakable ground of your justification. On the other hand, if you are living according to the flesh, if you are not making war on the flesh and not making a practice of killing sin in your life, then there is no compelling reason for thinking that you are united to Christ by faith or that you are therefore justified. In other words, putting to death the deeds of the body is not the way we get justified. It's one of the ways God shows us that we are justified. Get that? So these verses, in one way, provide a little bit of a test for us. Are we really in Christ? If we are, then we're trying to put to death the deeds of the body, maybe very feebly. But if there's absolutely no effort there, if there's no desire there to care about sin whatsoever, then you need to make sure that you're in Christ because you might not be. But if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit has this way, and you've experienced this of zinging you going, what's going on there, Ben? Yeah, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear this. Leave me alone. No. And he convicts us. Repentance is a turning from our sin. Confession is agreeing with God about our sin. He's not like fooled by it. So here's what confession looks like. Hey, Ben, you've been doing this. God, I've been doing that. And he goes, I know. I'm agreeing with you. I, I own it. I don't want to be that way. Help me. Right? So that should be the regular pattern in your life. Okay. But what, what does this look like? What does it actually look like to make war on our sin? What does it look like to kill sin? 
And I want, I'm going to give you three or four things that I think are helpful here. And, and these are largely from, um, from John Piper. He, he really helped me make more sense of this than I had previously. But the first thing is this. Um, and you may want to jot these down if you're that sort of person. The, the, first, the first step is this. It, you need to remember, it, it's, it's by the Spirit, right? So he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, you put. So the Spirit's got to be involved in this work. It's not human effort alone, okay? Just, just reminder number one. Um, and, and Jesus reminds us this because we are, when we're doing war on the flesh, we're doing war on the deeds of the body, it's, it's because it's a heart issue, right? Jesus says there's nothing that goes inside of a man that can defile him. Um, he says it, it's actually what comes out of our hearts that defiles us. So he says this in Mark 7, uh, 14 through 23. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he'd entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said, then you are also without understanding. So let me explain. Do, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Talking about needing to wash hands. He goes, that's not really that important in the scheme of things, guys. Here's what's important. Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, do you feel this? For from within, out of the heart of man or woman, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So we need the Spirit's help because we're not just attacking some things we do. We're trying to attack the fact that our heart wants to run from Jesus and the Holy Spirit is the only person that can begin to shed those layers off of our heart and make it new. Because we have a heart issue. Plus, there's lots of ways, by the way, there's lots of ways to seek a life of self-improvement. Your, your best life nowism. Your, our, our, our culture currently is like the self-help capital of the world. And there's nothing wrong with it in a certain, to a certain extent. But if we approach Christianity as just a self-help thing, I just want to be a little bit better of a person, that's not Christianity. Right? Because we don't just need a little help. We got wicked hearts. So we need the Spirit to change our hearts. Okay? That's why... When Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, your eye caused you to stumble, pluck it out. Your hand caused you to stumble, cut it off. What he's not saying is literally gouge out your eye or literally cut, literally cut off your hand, literally cut off your hand. Because then you just be a handless, eyeless sinner with a bad heart. You can still lust without eyes. You can still murder without hands. What Jesus is meaning in the Sermon on the Mount is take it seriously. Do war. Do what's necessary. But know that it's your heart that's the issue. That's where the Spirit's got to work, and that's why you need the Spirit. Okay? Here's, here's number two. So it's by the Spirit. Number two, it's in conjunction with the sword of the Spirit. 
What's the sword of the Spirit? We all know this. What's the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. Okay, let's, let's go to school for a second. Go, go, to, go to Ephesians 6, or it'll pop on the screen. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Okay, so he's picturing how we fight. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, here's the armor. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So the sword of the Spirit is the word of God, and it's the only offensive weapon in the armor. We're wanting to do offense. We're wanting to kill sin in us. So it's by the Spirit, and it's in conjunction with the Word of God. Okay? So we see all kinds of examples about this. Um, Romans 8, 5, and 6, if you just go a little earlier in the chapter, it says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So we want to do battle in our minds. And largely how we do battle in our minds is by filling our minds with the Word of God. And that can sound real trite, like, oh, read your Bible. Yeah, I get it. Preacher's saying nothing new. No, like, the real. We've, we've got to be people of the Word. And, and I, quite, diagnostic question to all of us. Do you regularly, have you made it a habit in your life to spend time in the Word? Like, you're shooting for every day. There's set aside time, a quiet time, or talk, a time alone with God, where you're very intentionally going, no, I need the Word more than I need anything else. And so I'm going to sit aside time, spend with God, and I'm going to read his word. And then I'm going to respond to that word in prayer. And I'm going to ask God to help me. Because if we're not doing that, we're probably not fighting sin too well. David says, how can a young man or young woman keep his way pure, keep her way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I've sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So I'm, I'm reading this. I'm memorizing this. I'm meditating on this. And I'm asking the Spirit to make it applicable to me. Okay, so, so it's by the Spirit. It's in conjunction with the Word of God. And, and then here's number three. Okay. It is um, a battle for faith in the promises of God. So 
Here, this is putting it all together. The Spirit does this. We, it's, it's really perplexing that God says, kill your, kill your body of sin. Kill sin. You, kill sin by the Spirit. So he commands something that only the Spirit can do. But he tells us, he commands us, you do it by the Spirit. It's mysterious, but it's by the Spirit. It's in conjunction with the Word. And then how, how does the Word impact us? It is, it's by faith. So we read the promises of God in Scripture, and we, we apply those to our hearts. Because every single sin we commit is a failure in some way to believe the good news of the gospel. So we're, we're taking the scripture that we're reading. We're going, God, there's some ways in which what I just read, I don't fully believe, or it's not fully fleshed out in my life. And, and I need you to show me where I'm not believing. And then, and then let's do battle because I want to believe. I believe, help my unbelief. All the, that's the Christian life. So let me give you two examples because that sounds kind of weird. Uh, I asked Megan if I could share this because we were chatting about this last night just trying to flesh this out. How do, how do I make this practical? And she said, well, she said, you know, for years I had this, this anger issue that would pop up at certain times. And I would confess the anger. wouldn't go away. She's trying to do battle against this anger. And she said, finally, there, there was a day where the Holy Spirit just, just showed her this. She was, even in the middle of confessing her anger, still in her heart going, God, it's your fault that I'm angry. You made me angry. And she could not get past her anger as long as she was blaming God for the sin that was in her heart. But once the Spirit lifted the veil and she all of a sudden said, oh, I'm, I'm not truly believing the gospel. I'm not truly believing in this moment that I'm a sinner and that it's my fault. I'm trying to blame, I'm trying to pass the blame on to somebody else. So in that moment, she's, by the Spirit, is revealing to her the Word of God. She's being reminded of something she's heard a hundred million times, but all of a sudden the Spirit lifts the veil and she goes, Oh, I believe, but I'm not really believing. And then that sin goes to death in a way that it has not before. In my own life, I remember years ago, I attempted to plant a church, and I was going to be assessed by this church planning group. And the night before, I was so anxious about going before this assessment. And part of my anxiousness was, I want them to think well of me. Like, I just want them to think i Got it so together. And I'm nervous that they won't see how awesome I am. Uh, truthfully, one of my besetting sins is pride. So I'm filled with pride. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, I'm laying in bed. I woke up and wrote it down on my phone so I wouldn't forget it because God just started speaking to me. He started making the scriptures real. He said, Ben, you're a sinner. You've royally screwed up. And I love you anyway. You are completely forgiven. But your identity does not rest in what they think about you or anybody else thinks about you. Your identity rests in me and what I've done for you, not because you deserve it, because you're a sinner, but simply because I love you and I died for you. In that moment, the Spirit is taking the Scriptures that I already know making them real to my heart. That's what fighting sin looks like, okay? By the Spirit, with the Word, by faith in the promises of God, okay? 
The fourth thing that I want to add, which is a tag on, and then I'm done because I'm over time, is this, is, is that we do have to confess. So we get this glorious verse, 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, he's speaking to believers. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, his word's not in us. We're sinners, but if we confess our sins, he will forgive us. You need to believe that. You don't need to think, I need to do a little bit more, and then God will forgive me. No, like it is as simple as this. Confess your sins, and then by faith believe that God's going to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so we commit sins. Again, confession is agreeing with the Holy Spirit about our sins. The Holy Spirit brings to mind a sin that we've done. We confess and agree with him about our sin. And we're promised forgiveness. And then here's the other thing about confession. We need a person or a couple people that we can confess to. James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Sin dies the more it's brought to the light. Things that stay hidden can fester and grow. The things that are brought to the light can die. I'm not saying you should confess to everybody. That would be dangerous and stupid. You should find a person or a couple people who love you and want your best and who you know will pray for you. And you should be able to get honest with them about what's going on in your heart and where your besetting sins are. And then, and then they will not heap guilt on you. Then they will remind you of the gospel, that you are loved and forgiven because of Christ. And they will pray with you that your sin would be put to death. By the Spirit, through the Word, by faith, confess to somebody, bring it to light. And here's the last thing as we're closing. It's, it's suffocation. Killing sin is rarely a bullet hole to the temple. Killing sin is the slow suffocation. Cutting off the blood flow, cutting off the airflow until it dies. And then remembering that it could always come back if you ever release that. So funny story. I remember my uncle telling me years ago, he was more of a, a deer hunter and a turkey hunter than a duck hunter, but occasionally he'd go duck hunting. And he was with, I think, a, a buddy one time and shot down this duck. I wasn't quite dead. I'm like, how do we kill this thing? Someone was like, well, we'll just drown this duck. <clears throat> take this half-dead duck, stick it under the water. They're in their waders, carry on a conversation. They talk for two, three minutes. Brings that duck back up out of the water. Duck goes, <gasps> and it's still alive. And they're like, how long can a duck hold its breath? And our sin can feel like that. Suffocating this thing, and suffocating this thing, and suffocating this thing. It just won't die. And that's how it works. But we got to keep putting it to death. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> we don't want to be hypocrites. 
the spirit you've put in within us wants, it wants to bring all of life under your authority. It, it wants to, to fight sin. Lord, we want to be in love with you more than anything else, and yet it is hard. And what I'm asking this morning is that you would help us to be people who remember that we're debtors to the Spirit and who want to live this out, who want to suffocate, cut off the airflow to, put to death the sin in our own lives, who treat it as serious, who, who know that this is the calling that you have given us. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be people this morning who do that by the Spirit. And Lord, maybe there's some of us, we, did, we need to find that person or that, that couple people and we need to get honest with them so that they can get in the war with us and help us to fight our unbelieving hearts. But Lord, would you help us to be people who radically fight sin? Who want with everything within us to make it real in our lives in the here and now. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.